Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and friends beyond the binary and all my patron peeps, it's time for the podcaster who hopes I give you some freedom from those brain bots. It's time for Sleep With Me, the podcast to put you to sleep. Thanks, patrons. Uh, hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep? Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep. We do with a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest. What I'm going to attempt to do is create a safe place where you could set aside whatever's keeping you awake, whether it's thoughts, feelings, physical sensations, time, temperature, travel. Whatever's keeping you awake, I'd like to take your mind off that. And uh, the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to send my voice across the deep, dark night. I'm going to use lulling, soothing, uh, creaky dulcet tones, pointless meanders, uh, tangents, like superfluous tangents, extra words. I might go off topic, but really what I'm trying to do is uh, keep you company, uh, to be your friend, and to say, hey, like, uh, listen to this story, listen to my rambles. I want to give you something that's kind of barely nicer to listen to than whatever's keeping you awake at night. Kind of like the pattering of rain on the window. Uh, when it's you know when the pattering of rain on the window is nice, uh, it's nice. But then when you're you know when you're there's other times where you say, "What's up with the rain?" I get you know I got a I got practice or I got to go somewhere or my you know my socks are already wet. But there are times. Uh, when that pattering's just right, or maybe maybe not. Maybe we've have we romanticized pattering. Maybe I'll come back to that. I know I like to talk about pattering every once in a while, uh, but first let me get to you, new listeners. If you're new, I'm glad you're here. Uh, let me give you the structure and what to expect. Uh, so the sh- this podcast is a, a really different. It's uh, goofy. It's uh, counterintuitive, and it involves a lot of me talking and, and circular logic and over-talking, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So if you kick back and you kind of listen loosely and you give it a few tries, that's uh, like over the millions and millions and millions of listens and people I've heard from is kind of seems like uh, give it a few tries and see how it goes. Uh, but I hope it helps you fall asleep. I make the show because I believe you deserve a good night's sleep. Uh, structurally, what to expect. The show starts off with business. That's how we keep the show free and going and cover some of our costs. And then there's an intro, which we're kind of like two minutes into. Into The intros are usually about 12 minutes or so. And they're a show within a show. And a, a lot of the long-term listeners is, is fall asleep during the intro or get ready for bed during the intro. And they're a big fan of it. It's it's kind of a it, it, yeah, show within a show, a friendly monologue uh, where I demonstrate my inability to get to the point. I say, okay, the point of the intro is to introduce the podcast. Uh, and that takes me 12 minutes. I think uh, maybe you're catching on. But it's really just to say, hey, this is a safe place that's here to help you. Hopefully I become a familiar friend that's uh, sitting there across the room. Your boar friend, your boar bud, your boar bay, your boar bestie, your boar bud, your boar bra, your boar sib, whatever it is, I'm here to help. So that's the intro. Then tonight we'll be talking about Star Trek The Next Generation 
in a kind of indirect and meandering way. I'll kind of do a little bit of a recap. I'll look up some stuff that came up in the episode and, you know, say, oh, who was who's that actress uh, or what did, what did that word mean? And a lot of times I'll be reading my notes because I watch the episode usually like three or four or five times. Star Trek, I watch it a little bit more and then I'll take a lot of notes and I'll try to read off my notes. So we'll be talking about that, and uh, ideally it's just interesting enough to, like I said, take your mind off stuff, but uh, not interesting enough to really grip or engage you. And if you're not familiar with Star Trek, it'll barely resemble Star Trek. So that's a positive. Uh, But if you love Star Trek, you'll say, oh, wait, I kind of remember that. But Scoots is still talking about Reg Barkley. And he doesn't know, you know, his Heisenberg compensator from his, you know, rear. So uh, even I can drift off. Uh, but I'm also here all the way to the end because there are listeners that can't fall asleep. So I'm here to keep you company whether you're awake or asleep. Uh, whether you fall asleep in the first few minutes or you're here all the way to the very end. Or I'm here to help you. Some people listen eight hours a night every night uh, or they have it running uh, some people wake up or some people are traveling, you know, you can wait, whatever it is, I'm here to help. I think the other things are, you don't really need to listen to me. You can just kind of barely pay attention. You can pay attention or you can lower the volume. So I'm just a murmuring, whatever works for you. Uh, but I also don't want you to feel any pressure to fall asleep uh, because uh, I want you to take your time. That's why the shows are about an hour. It's just so you can fall asleep whenever, whenever you wish or as you drift off. Uh, you know, kind of like the pitter-pattering of rain, as I was saying. Like, if you're listening to it, I don't know. I guess maybe we have, have we idealized the patter of rain? Rain patters. Uh, rain matters. That's just something my brain just said to me. He said, what are you, like a rain sloganeer? I mean, I do remember, I don't know if this was years ago or re, like in the last six to 12 months. And I, I do, I, I, but I will check in with listeners that have new pets or are thinking about getting a pet is to encourage you, if you're getting two pets at the same time, please consider calling them Pitter and Patter, especially if they're like, uh, I mean, because me, I had gerbils. Me, me I had gerbils. I, I, as a young boy... Well, I had a gerbil, and my brother Carl had a gerbil. We did not name them Pitter and Patter. We named them Chitter and Squeaker. But I think Pitter and Patter, or like two two, two dogs, uh, I don't know. And then, like I said, with dogs, I think I've gone through this. Maybe they would Pitter and Patter when you call them. So that's a recommendation. But I was thinking about, I don't know, can you romanticize rain? Is it, should that be a book I write in the next 180 years? Uh, well, there could be a different books. R- Romantic Rain. Oh, boy. I just saw the one. Then we could do a romance. Uh, romantic, romantic Rain. R-E-I-G-N. Uh, my Days with the Khaleesi uh, would not be what it would be subtitled. But uh, maybe we could do, maybe John Snow. Maybe. Maybe would Tyrion would more... And then there's romanticized rain. Uh, there could be one with, like, because I, I, I know on a lot of, when I, when I was a librarian, we would get a lot of r- romances were popular. 
And there's different Harlequin uh, series or styles of Harlequin books. And somewhere outdoors. So, so there could be romantic uh, main and romantic. We could have M-A-N-E. Uh, then you could have main. Like uh, we met at a water main break. Holy cow. That's where it all started. Romantic main. Uh, and then also a town. Well, that could be an ongoing series. Maybe romantic main. M-A-I-N-E. The state of main. I don't know. Are any, is, is the Hallmark Channel taking submissions? Because I, I already submitted my idea for uh, the Happy Christmas Shop, which I'll be doing the holiday season uh, serial series about that. But uh, what about that? I could do a series called Romantic Main, and it could be episodic, like very similar to those episodic shows of the 80s and the 90s, where it's a town in Maine. And uh, it's only bed and breakfast. You get it. Maybe that would like you get into town and you say, well, there's nothing here but bed and breakfast. Only romance in romantic May. I mean, or it could be an ironic title, of course. Uh, I hear Fraser's getting rebooted. So we could maybe I could write some fan fiction, romantic cane. And also maybe candy cane, maybe like at a candy cane factory. I thought I was going to talk about rain, but we're thinking about using romantic in words that rhyme with rain. Romantic crane, a story of two bird watch, a tr- the true story of two bird watchers who fell in love and solved the mystery of the great whooping crane. I think that's, could I do that as a fictionalized, fictional, fictionalized autobiography? I think that's probably the best one I've come up with so so far. If it was true, we could probably submit it to uh, uh, Lauren and Phoebe on uh, This Is Love, like uh, Romantic Crane. Uh, I, I, I mean, I like the idea of two bird watchers and love, but I would prefer if it was like uh, there was like a second subtitle where it linked to some sort of scientific breakthrough. Because uh, you're just, I mean, I guess I'm big on double and triple subtitles to explain what I'm, uh, so romantic rain, romantic rain. Uh, what about, an, here's another possible, if if no one takes romantic main, what about romantic rain? Like the idea, what, what if I'm like, uh, what if there's like, maybe it could have some sort of supernatural element too, positive kind where we bewitch a cloud in wherever it rains, romance follows. Okay, Cupid just called me right in those two seconds there and said, no, that's my job, don't mess. And they'd say, what if we team up? Uh, Cupid, what if I hire you, Cupid? If you play yourself and you shoot a, one of your heart arrows into the cloud. We could That could be the whole story. One day... Uh, you know, you, you say, I'm sick of flying around with these wings. Uh, also I'm like a baby in a diaper. Sometimes it gets cold up there and I just, maybe we get you a fur coat. Maybe we get you a nice uh, warm fleece parka or something. And you know, maybe you take a vacation. We could put you in a bathtub. Uh, you don't want a bath. You don't need, okay. Don't act like you have, you're in a diaper. It's just a suggestion. And you shoot the clouds, and then it's romantic rain. Think it's been done before? I don't think so. Romantic rain in Maine? No, too many. Okay. Well, I'll get back to you. Do you? Do you? Uh, are you open to that idea, though?
uh, romantic Jane. I don't get it, Cupid. It's about a character named Jane. Okay, well, you could write that. Uh, uh, is it from, like, Jane's perspective? Uh, you don't know. Okay, well, that's great. Uh, uh, romantic Shane. Okay, this is actually a sleep podcast, believe it or not, Cupid. Thank you for coming by. Uh, let me know on Romantic Rain. Oh, Romantic Blaine. The roma- many romances of David Blaine. Okay, well, we need that's a, I think that's like both a real person and a brand. We'd have trouble with that. So you could write it because you're, what are you, a demigod? Okay, you got to go. By the way, uh, have, did I ever, have you ever got any like uh, orders for me? Because I don't ever, uh, uh, okay, I'm out. Thanks. I'll see you later. Thanks. Thanks for your time, Cupid. So those are just a couple of things that, that popped in my head. Anyway, sorry, I went off topic there. Uh, but, you know, I hope this podcast is like, uh, maybe you just experienced it when I went off those tangents, is uh, a bit like the pattering of rain. You're kind of passively listening to it. Maybe it's triggering a neutral or positive response where you say, yeah, it's not so bad. Let me listen to that pattering, the pittering and the pattering. Now, if you have pets named Pitter and Patter, you don't want them pittering and pattering when you're trying to sleep. Oh, I think that's what I came up with on one intro was the patter method because there's like a, which is like to patter yourself a little bit. So maybe it's kind of like patting yourself, uh, but you're imagining like, so just go ahead and touch one of your shoulders and do a little pattering. Two fingers, I think, is what we decided with pattering. And just, you know, say, hey, it's a good job being human. And so that's kind of the intro. That's I guess that's a metaphor for the show. I'm not exactly sure how, but I think I demonstrated and maybe I distracted you, but I'm here to help. I've been there in the deep, dark night. That's why I make this show. I appreciate you coming by. I work very hard, and I yearn and I strive to help you fall asleep. Uh, so let's see how it goes. Uh, and here's a couple of ways we keep the show going. All right, hey, everybody. We're talking uh, Season 6, Episode 12, uh, Ship in a Bottle, Star Trek The Next Generation. And it starts off with Data in a smoking jacket, which you really can't go wrong with. Uh, that's how I like to order my Data. But he's Holmes, Sherlock Holmes. The time is uh, 3.55, it looks like, on the clock, or uh, 11.20 above the fireplace. Uh, Data has a pipe between, clasped between his lips as his teeth even uh, hit it, like making that click sound. There's smoke, Geordie's air is Watson, maybe a fold-down desk. Uh, can't read this, R-R-R-R-R-R-R. That's what it looks like my handwriting says. Uh, A-R-V-E-V-E, maybe an I, A-R-I, arrive maybe? Who is the third person? I don't know. Uh, there's a turtle on the second level of a table. There's a lot of good stuff in this uh, lot, the, the set. There's a sculpture. There's a lamp, a cane lamp uh, with the her before it. Uh, there's also a portrait on the wall. I couldn't figure out whose portrait it was above the fireplace. I'm looking at it now. A couple, a couple different portraits. Uh, one could be, well, I don't know, maybe, who, who knows? Is it uh, Arthur Conan? And we have some left or right discussion as Data tosses the third person. Let's see who, if it's just a third person. 
His date is in the middle of like solving things, his homes. Uh, but then he says, hey, what's up? Uh, the spatial, spatial orientation detective, the, the, this thing is off on the computer. And it must be nice to be an officer because they just say, Barkley, what's going on? We're trying to play around here with a Sherlock Holmes adventure. Jordy calls Reginald Barkley Reg for short. Uh, he says, fix this. Come on. We're trying to have some fun. Like, uh, what kind of, the, they're on the holodeck. And then they leave. I also noticed they left in um, in dress, uh, like dressed up as a character. So they, I don't, I, I did have a question of, or, or uh, like Barkley runs to try to fix the uh, holodeck. But I said, do they, um, what do they call that when you materialize it? Uh, like the 3D printer thing they have. Uh, but I forgot what it's called. But, it, like, does that make their uniforms every time? Do they dematerialize their uniforms? Uh, do they have them in a closet somewhere? Who's in charge of, who's in charge of Sherlock Holmes clothes and the Watson clothes? Is it like, uh, they each have them in their own closets. Uh, so those are important. I mean, those are important questions to me. Uh, do, yeah, do they throw them out when they're done? Uh, Reg tries to work on Sherlock Holmes 3A. Then James Moriarty shows up. Uh, there's protected memories trying to unlock it. Uh says, yeah, I'm Professor James Moriarty. He's a lefty, uh, and he's a good catch. He catches with his left hand. So his special recognition isn't off. And he says, where's Captain Picard? And Barkley is like, Wait, how do you know... Uh, Captain McCarty and the bar, Moriarty goes, you don't know who I am? And he goes, uh, WTF. Barkley's like, uh, wait, you know who you are? That doesn't make any sense because you're a holodeck character. How do you know you're a holodeck character? And he says, I was made as a toy, a plaything for Commander Data to masquerade as Sherlock Holmes. And they made me too well, so I became self-aware. I'm alive, buddy. Uh, he starts singing that song. I uh, got a little story for you. What you thought was Moriarty was nothing but a holodeck, not just a holodeck character. And he goes, I want out of the holodeck. Barkley goes, no, this is the only place you can exist. He goes, how long have you been gone? For years. He goes, seemed longer than that. Uh, it's not pleasant being a holodeck character in the mainframe or whatever. Uh, I wonder if there was any uh, Star Trek The Next Generation fan fiction about uh, Moriarty's time in um, in the computer or after this episode. I'm sure maybe somebody wrote it, or maybe they didn't. Uh, but uh, maybe some poetry. I put it'd probably be better as poetry, like Moriarty's poetry as like a, trying to exist in the computer's memory. Oh, you know. Oh, well, you know, who, like, as Moriarty becomes more self-aware. And let's see, meet me in the sitting room at Baker Street. I'll have to stare your blocks and music out. He appears and smiles and has an idea. Uh, maybe that's what he told Barkley to tell Commander Picard to meet me. He goes, Picard promised to get me out of here. He doesn't keep his promises, and Barkley goes, oh, no, he does, uh, so I got a job here. Uh, and then he says, meet me in Baker Street. Uh, 
And Barkley goes, okay, let me put you back in storage. I got to go. And as soon as Barkley puts him back in storage, Moriarty disappears. But kind of, he like, uh, he oh, he blanks out. But then there's music, which is ominous. And then he reappears and smiles. He's he's up to something, old uh, Moriarty. Uh, then the episode opens. It's uh, started at 46424.1, maybe. Uh, they're in the D- D- Dittrian system, some system. Let's take a look. Uh, yeah, the Detrian system, the planets are running into each other. They're going to, a couple of gas giants. It's kind of like me. I'm, 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 I'm like a bit like a hot gas planet. Uh, it's full of my hot air, not that other gas. Uh, they say it's going to be a self-sustaining fusion reaction is what we're probably going to see. And the birth of a new star, which I didn't realize stars could come from gas planets uh, crashing. And they're going to say, let's observe this. Uh, maybe this is the first time. I think it must be a big deal. They're collecting, you know, they're collecting data or data. Starbirth. Uh, Barkley comes. He's under stress. He's great. Uh, we'll talk about uh, Barkley and uh, the betrayal of Reg Barkley later. He goes, you won't believe it. Uh, like, uh. They got Professor Moriarty down there, self-aware. It just appeared there. He wants to talk to the captain. I think he maybe told us to Jordy, actually. And then, what does that say? Cuford, Oford, Data, Barkley, Picard, at Holodeck. Uh, uh, so maybe cut two. I think that says cut two. Uh, Data, Barkley, and Picard are at the Holodeck. Uh, and they say, hey, what's up, dude? And Moriarty says, what's up? How come you haven't come to get me? And he goes, we didn't forget about you. We just couldn't uh, we couldn't figure it out. It's a mystery. And uh, we've been working with uh, Starfleet's on it, not us anymore. We needed theoretical scientists, uh, and they couldn't even figure it out. So uh, he goes, you, he goes, goes, Barkley told me you could feel the passing of time. I'm sorry. We didn't think that we thought you'd be in, you know, in static memory. And Moriarty kind of puts Picard on a guilt trip. He goes, you know what? I don't believe anything you say anymore. Uh, let's see. Story all about that. Professor takes a book to SH. Uh, I don't know what that means. Let's see what I can learn from the transcript. He goes, he goes, you're just going to take off again, and I'm going to be stuck here in this computer. I want to get out of the room. And Picard goes, you can't exist outside the holodeck. Uh, and Moriarty goes, are you sure? Oh, and then Picard tosses, he says, open the door. And then he throws a book off the holodeck, and it vanishes. And Moriarty says, well, I'm not a book. I'm a, you know, I'm a professor. Uh, throws it out. An object versus Cassoners will be, he knows. Uh, Picard playbook. Uh, let's see. You know, he says, Picard goes, you're a computer simulation. And he goes, no, I'm conscious and I have will. He goes, I have a mind. And that gives me some existence. Uh, I can walk into your room right now. Picard goes, don't do it. Uh, you'll cease. Uh, and he goes, well, then nothing will be lost. Mind over matter. Cogito ergo sum. Or sum. I think, therefore, I am. Right when he says that, he walks right in the hall. 
does a dramatic turn and everyone's WTF. They're like, what in the heck? Uh, can't believe it. Uh, and great. Also, there's great lamps in that room and great reaction shots when he walks out of the room. Uh, finger up. Uh, he holds his finger up when he's out there. I liked that. Then Data, Data goes, uh, Worf, uh, we got to sit here. Uh, Professor Moriarty's walking around really happy. He goes, what are we? Uh, uh, I think even Wesley's like, wait a second. Is he a human? And uh, Oh, no, that's Professor Crusher. He goes to the thing to be scanned. Uh, wait, I think I got ahead of myself. Uh, Data says, Worf, send some people down here to keep an eye on Moriarty. The guard goes, is this possible? Barker goes, no. It goes against all physics. And then Picard says, I want Dr. Crusher to check on you. She says, he's human. Uh, and she goes, his DNA is a little bit different, but uh, all the system is totally functioning. And Jordy goes, he's as immutable as ordinary matter, not losing cohesion. And Picard goes, I'm kind of losing some cohesion with all this. Uh, and the whole time Moriarty's playing innocent, like totally pandering. He says, I just want to explore this new world, your vessel. What sea are we on? Uh, can we go above deck? And uh, they say, Picard and Crusher look at each other. And he goes, well, let's go to 10 forward. And he looks out the window. He goes, we're adrift in the heavens. Uh, and he goes, not adrift. We're a ship traveling through space. And Moriarty goes, well, where's Earth? What's the range? What locomotion? So much for me to learn. And Picard says, you could start reading some books. And Moriarty goes, I got big plans for my life now. I'm out on my own. And Picard goes, well, you're going to have to remain on board for a while where we figure out what the heck is going on. And he goes, well, I don't care. I want to get on with my life. I don't care about you understanding anything. And Picard goes, you know, you got to be up on up. Uh, you can't be more like the old Moriarty. And he goes, don't worry, that was uh, fiction. It just did. He goes, that was just the writings of uh, Arthur Conan Doyle. Now I'm a real holodeck being. And he goes, well, if you're telling me the truth, maybe there is a whole world out there for you to enjoy. And he goes, well, also, uh, he, he's like, let's see how much I can get out of Picard. He's very happy. Uh, 10 forward. Oh, 1346, there's a good, you should pause it. Uh, there's a woman dressed like Velma from uh, uh, Scooby-Doo. She has a green and neon orange outfit on. And I had to WTF that. She must be a crew member or a guest. Uh, uh, and I like how Moriarty sighs around. Then he says, so much to learn. Uh, he mashes a, f a flare. He's, he makes a flare at every turn. Uh, that's how he's moving around. Ricard sits down at one point when they're talking. And it takes a while for Moriarty to sit down. And when he sits down, he says, can I have a favor? Also, I'm in love with the Countess, uh, and I'd like you to kind of give her consciousness, too. And uh, he goes, because, uh, you know, then I have someone to spend time with. And Picard goes, no way. Because it goes against everything. Uh, he goes, you're a new life form. I can't be messing around. Your moral and ethical implications. He goes, if we do it on purpose... Uh, and Moriarty says, well, is it acceptable for you to deny my love of my love uh, because I love her? 
and it, to boss me around. And Picard goes, okay, um, calm down. We're going to try to keep you comfortable. And Moriarty goes, oh, you're just going to dole out how I have to do things. I'm a power. Oh, you Picard, please. Oh, whoa. He, I put, he's in love with another illusion. He wants another life form or not. Uh, love and distraction. He won't accept it. You hold my future, my happiness. Then they have a staff meeting. Troy's like, uh, she has a good take. She goes, we created her, even though it's only a holodeck. Uh, so she goes, maybe we already. And then Professor or Dr. Crusher says it's romantic. Uh, but uh, I don't think we should be messing around with it. And Barkley's like, I don't even know what happened. Uh, zoinks. And Data says, by the way, we don't know that this is permanent. Uh, um. I'll have to deal with it. I think Ricard says, well, I'll have to deal with him uh, until we know more details. I'll deal with uh, Moriarty. So then uh, sometimes I put, Bar oh, Barkley's just really good. Uh, then Picard, he, he's in the leg-crossing situation as he gives uh, Barkley, or I mean uh, Moriarty, he's in Moriarty's room. Nice room, by the way. And he goes, we're going to have to postpone things. And Moriarty goes, no, postponing. Uh, I lived in a computer, and Picard goes, wait a second, why are you in such a hurry? He goes, is, are you up to something with uh, the uh, Countess? Uh, and he goes, she has impeccable integrity. And Picard goes, seems like you love her. And he goes, well, it's fashioned for me to love, uh, but I would have anyway. She's remarkable. I adore her. I love her. And Picard goes, well, then that is just another reason for us to take our time then. Picard's, I think really it is a battle of the minds because uh, Picard seems to be sussing things out. Uh, he doesn't know exactly what's going on, but he says, okay, what's the hurry? Oh, well, you know, he's countering his logic. Uh, and uh, then Riker's like, Captain, you got to get to the bridge. And Riker's like, looks like this planet thing's going to happen yeah, uh, when Picard leaves, oh, there's a good Moriarty close-up. Uh, he's he's getting some idea. Yeah, and they say launch all the probes. Let's keep an eye on these planets. Uh, command finches are offline. Oh, then they say command functions are offline. They say, what do you mean? And the computer says, yeah, you you're, you've locked out. Uh, and Moriarty calls. He says, uh, I had no choice but to take control of the computers. Uh, and they go, come on, the planets are about to merge. We're right in range. Not a good idea. And Marty goes, I can't, not much I can do about it without the Countess to comfort me. And Picard goes, we're working on it. But it goes, this planet thing's going to happen faster. And Marty goes, well, now you have a deadline. And Picard goes, Data, you're going to have to do, really work, work hard at this one. And then Picard goes, I got to discuss something with somebody. He goes, don't mess with me. They say, we got trouble. Look at these planets. I'm just a fictional character. I want my Countess. Uh, then Barkley, Jordy, and I put Barkley, but I think it's Jordy. Barkley, Jordy, and Data have a meeting about it. They're talking about matter cohesion and figuring out the holodeck, transporting the stuff off. Uh, but w this is like when you watch episode four or five times, you really get to know it. Uh, Jordy, there is Jordy's like, let's just give up. Uh, let's just accept uh, 
He goes that uh, I think there's something. Jordy's Geor- like too quick to not. Uh, he's not super Jordy like. And then Picard comes and he goes, "Okay, I got it." He goes, "I bought time with Moriarty. We got to get to the bottom of this." Uh, and he goes, "How did he get control?" And Jordy goes, "He's the most brilliant man of any century." Is really when you see it a few times, it's a fun scene to watch after you know. He goes, "He's a man that's brilliant. Uh, that's why." And Picard goes, "We'll figure out something, solution, Jordy. Come on, you're you're supposed to be brilliant." Uh, progress, Mr. LaForge, a small hat. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. A small hat. Uh, but, uh, oh, small hint. That's what it says. Joy Schultz. Oh, that's who plays Barkley, by the way. We'll talk about that. They go back to, he goes, start up at Holmes 3A. This is another hint. They say it's already in use. And Barkley goes, what, who, what? Uh, first, then he goes in and he sees the countess. I put, I put, uh, I was trying to figure out who the actress was at first. Uh, you know, we'll talk about that. She's dressed up in like a coral gown, uh, and she's asking a lot of questions of Barkley. Uh, Stephanie Beecham is the actor, actress. Uh, he goes, she goes, uh, what are you doing? He goes, well, I get these uh, transporter sticks. Uh, they got some power. And she goes, uh, she goes, she goes, what do you think? I can't understand what a transporter stick is. He goes, oh, well, he goes, these are boosters for better signal. And she goes, this is when I go into the real world, right? And she goes, uh, he goes, how do you know about the real world? She goes, oh, James told me about it. We're going on a big adventure. Uh, then she talks about visiting Africa. Like uh, she says, talk about the adventures she's had as a character, wearing corset versus wearing trousers, and how much she loved to travel. She can't stay in one place. She's got to travel. Now I'm going to get to travel the stars. Uh, and he goes, "How can you have consciousness?" He goes, "You don't sound like a holodeck character." And Moriarty rolls in. Well, she's not. She's a hu- she's human like me. Uh, he really loves the discussion, especially the corset. I saw his face, uh, but, uh, it's something also a weird face. Uh, then it's make out city. Moriarty comes in and they kiss and Barkley's watching. Uh, she also has multiple types of feathers in her hair and different colors, uh, in her hat, not in her hair. And they say, yeah, we're, this is using the boosters to try. They're going to try to transport this. Isn't Barkley great? And Barkley goes, okay, let's try that. Uh, and they say, standing by. And they almost get the chair off. Uh, it beams out, but it won't beam back. Uh, it lost its cohesion. It was a long shot anyway. No transport. But then Data says, uh, oh, let's check the logs. And the computer says, there are no logs of the data. And they go, what, Data says, what in the heck you mean? What do you mean there's no logs of the data? And Data goes, that's impossible. Uh, it's like our attempt never occurred. And then Data clearly knows something's up. Uh, then we have Picard and Geordi. And Picard totally gets uh, uh, like, uh, like a fishing exposition. He just gives his uh, password right to the computer, no questions asked. He goes, yeah, totally, totally. Uh, g- gave it to my computer. Uh, no questions asked. Uh, go ahead, t- full authorization. Remember my password to record it. And uh, Jordy's there. 
just watching data goes he goes uh he sees Jordy do something with his hand. It's the wrong hand. He goes, Captain, C- Commander Picard, we're still in the holodeck. Yeah, we're not. In, uh, he goes, uh, it's funny because Jordy's a holodeck character. So he has like this funny look, uh, frosted with zeal. Uh, I don't know what that means. But he's like, Jordy, who? And he goes, how did you know? Uh, Picard goes, how did you know, Data? Data goes, deduction, fools. Like, I used a simple deduction, just like uh, Holmes. He goes, I deduced it. Uh, He goes, and then he breaks it down, the deduction. Deduction, deduction, that's my function. He does a little Sherlock Holmesian rap. uh, And he goes, if that's true, this isn't Jordy. And Data goes, yeah, hit the road, uh... He goes and then he tests out his. He throws his uh, communicator towards uh, something and it hits a wall. He goes then they try to exit. No exit. Picard calls the bridge. Where am I? They go engineering, and uh, Data's like, okay, the the simulation could tell where we are in this simulation. Uh, he said, then yeah, this is when they say, excuse us, Jordy, we have to talk. Uh, and Picard goes, who's even real here? It was good eyes, because he's definitely like, oh boy, I'm in a simulation. I didn't even realize it. Uh, and Dave's like, you, me, and Barclay's mostly real. You know, he's a little bit. Uh... And Picard goes, I just gave, the reason to Picard's eyes, he goes, I just gave my entire password to the, the simulation. Oops. Uh, and they go, well, how long do we got to figure this out? And they go, three hours. And he goes, okay, somehow I got to give Moriarty what he wants. Uh, then we have Riker, the real Riker, grilling Moriarty. And Moriarty's like, well, I just want to get off the ship, Riker. Just hurry up and figure it out. But Riker's like, where's Picard, Barkley, and Data? And he goes, I'll give them to you and your ship as soon as you let me out. Your crewmates are in my sh- little ship in a bottle. He gives us uh, another hint uh I only want my freedom. Then he hangs up on them. And Worf's like, warp core temperature's rising. And then Moriarty's back or something. He goes, I got nothing to lose. And they say, Jordy, get on it. Figure this out. And then Worf goes, okay, warp core's back down. Uh, Picard, resume program. Uh, He meets the Countess, who's reading uh, Countess Regina, just like the city in Canada, one of the first podcasts I ever listened to was in Regina. It took place in Regina. I mean, this was in the first days of podcasting. Uh, sagacity is used, a great word. Uh, it's a Picard and the Countess talk about. He tries to he goes he tries to get to the bottom of love and of uh, uh, you know uh, Moriarty. He goes, oh, he says, you're wit and sagacity. She goes, well, you have charm and guile, like Viscount Oglethorpe. Uh, and she goes, what are you up to? Picard goes, uh, I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out. And he goes, how come you like Moriarty? She goes, well, he's exciting, incisive, ruthless, brilliant, irresistible. And Picard goes, he's not good. And she goes, well, that's just how he's written. I know him differently. And Picard goes, so you want to travel with him? And she goes, yes, please help. He goes, okay, I will. But really, he's like, uh, you know, Picard's brilliant. So he goes, okay, I think if we uncouple the Heisenberg compensators and allow them to randomly re-scramble, 
we could get something off the grid, but don't tell anybody. Uh, because, uh, he goes, I gotta, uh, he goes, just keep it our secret. Totally didn't mean to tell you all that. Uh, and he goes, I just gonna, I gotta get, take over the ship. Uh, he goes, I need Moriarty to return the voice command to me so I can, uh, he goes, or I won't do it. And she goes, it sounds like you're giving us a quip for a quip or something. And he goes, I am responsible for the whole ship. And she goes, oh, I'll see what I can do. And I'll, don't worry, I'll totally keep your totes, keep your secret. Uh, there's also a photo, cool statues in the room, a radio. It looks like an equalizer. Because I'll do what I can. Uh, Jordy and Riker talk about gravity wells. Worf is dealing with force fields. And uh, uh, then they go to the Countess. Countess, of course, tells Moriarty everything. He says, uncouple the Heisenberg compensators, eh? And he goes, I have, he's totally, gets into the, he's overconfident. He goes, oh, I got them running around like a bunch. He goes, I totally played them. Played Picard, played everybody. He goes, give me an arch. Uh, and he calls Riker, and somebody says, no games, yo. They think Riker, that sounds like something Riker would say. I don't have game time for games, Moriarty. And he goes, uh, like, we've got a gravity well sitch here. Moriarty goes, listen close. Uncouple those Heisenberg compensators. And they go, okay. And he goes, oh, here we go. Totally, uh, we totally tricked them. Uh, and Riker goes, oh, we're ready. And they say, step into the transport area. And they say, active and energizing and they travel to the real Enterprise, Moriarty and uh, the Countess. They think they do. And he says, give me a shuttlecraft and I'll set you free. And, uh, okay, Riker says, oh, totally tricked us. Okay. And they take him to a shuttlecraft. He goes, go to Mellis too. It's, uh, it's inhabited and uh, friendly. And he goes, then you could go from there. And Moriarty goes, you know, googly googly goo. I totally just say goodbye to the captain for me. Sorry, uh, he didn't realize he was in a um, a holodeck simulation and he got played Moriarty, you know, Moriarty style. Uh, Melis too can't wait. Can't say. I can't wish I could see Picard's face. Uh, so schooled. And then Picard Riker says, "All right, open the doors, hit the road." And then Moriarty and the Countess are in the shuttlecraft. Uh, there's something about interface release. Uh, oh, interface with, oh, they, then he gives the uh, Picard's pin back. And the Countess says, can we go back to Earth one day? He goes, yeah, sure, one day, of course. Uh, then we cut back to Picard and Data, and he says, okay, uh, it worked. Uh, and then he goes, Data goes, do we have to control the ship back? And he goes, I think they said store the store the program in memory and stop the simulation. Uh, Picard Delta One, that was the program. And they say, they call Riker. Riker's like, yeah, we got the ship back. Uh, and Barku's like, okay, we should be back in Nor like on the holodeck. Yeah. Uh, and they say, okay, everything's back on normal. We're getting away from the planets. And Picard goes, all right, we'll be up soon. And Worf's like, Captain? And he goes, don't worry, Worf, I'm on it. And Worf, uh, let's see, a discontinuous store program. 
It worked. Yeah, so good. Picard the Bridge, Mr. Worf. Uh, Barkley grabs this, like, neon disk drive. And they say, how'd you do it? They said, holodeck, the old holodeck within a holodeck. Uh, and it's obviously not a disk drive, but actually a computer. Uh, it's running inside a cube, a miniature holodeck within a holodeck within a holodeck uh, in the computer circuit, circuitry. And it'll keep them uh, going for a lifetime. They put it inside another computer memory box or something, enhancement module. And the only thing was Barkley's in charge of it. So I'm like, is Barkley going to keep this uh, safe? Uh, and then we have a humor. They say, don't worry. They'll enjoy their reality. And then he goes all uh, musky on us. He says, after all, we might be a simulation in a device somewhere. But he goes, we got to start a study. He goes, Barkley, keep it safe. Uh, and then they leave, and Barkley's left by himself, and he just double-checks that he's in reality. He says, uh, in simulation. And, it, and it's like, no, you're in reality, Bark. And that's uh, the end of the episode. Uh, when I could talk about a couple of things that came up on this episode, one is uh, Sherlock Holmes' Data's Pipe, which is a Calabash pipe. Uh, and this is from... Uh, smokingpipes.com and others link to it uh but uh let's see who wrote it uh, uh daniel bumgardner uh september 7 2017 it talks about how you've seen it in film literature and maybe on a pipe rack a whimsical distinctive silhouette uh and uh, the shape is unique and the story behind it even more so it's a perfect storm of nature, necessity, colonialism, and shifting social paradigms. Uh, it's uh, made from the hollow, uh, hollowed-out hull of a calabash gourd. Uh, that's how it gets its name. And it goes through a special process, even while the fu- fu- fru- fruit is growing. Uh, so it talks about that in the article. Yeah. Uh, it first uh, developed during, uh, like, when maritime trade routes were disrupted and the briar was in short supply. And when you find a new way to make pipes, bladder, uh, consider, like, uh, I guess this is a little bit, maybe you should just read it because uh, it's really in-depth and I don't want to paraphrase it, to, like, in a way. Uh, but and so it's a shape that way, one way, because of the gourd uh, that it's from. Another thing was uh, like uh, these lamps, uh, these cane lamps, uh, the hurricane lamps. Uh, uh, we, I, there's a nice article over Emerson Creek Pottery from December 5th, 2017. In the history of these oil lamps with a glass chimney and a control knob. Uh, uh, first uh, invented in 1780 by Argand, a son of a Swiss watchmaker. And they said, oh, wait, a cylindrical wick, which allowed air to flow through and around itself, would produce a brighter light. Uh, the glass lamp uh, chimney protected the flame from gusts, and the control knob enabled it to adjust the height of the wick in uh, the strength of the light. And different oils were used as fuel, and uh, this might have been the period of the Enlightenment uh, in which science was being explored for the benefit of mankind and inventing the prototypical uh, lamp that uh, would illuminate the world for centuries to come. It got used because it was wind-resistant on ships. 
in movies, in westerns it's been seen, and in modern times, uh, uh, long into the 20th century, people have used uh, these lamps uh, with kerosene. And even now they get used, of course. Uh, and there's a glow of romance uh, surrounding these special lamps and their long history. Uh, so that's a cool thing to learn. Uh, there's a couple of great articles, uh, more about the first episode of this, uh, the elementary, my dear data. Uh, one is by Star StarTrek.com, uh, Star Trek.com staff, uh, December 5th, 2016. Uh, 20 years later, it's still elementary, dear data. And it remains one of the most entertaining and fan favorite episodes. It has this is the elementary dear data episode. It was written by Brian Allen Lane. It builds on the idea of data being a, a loving Sherlock Holmes. First reference in Lonely Among Us. Uh, the writing staff thought that it was in the public domain, but it wasn't. Uh, so that added a little bit uh, more to the thing. Uh, they did find a compromise, but then they weren't able to go back to it until they, uh, again, until the ship in the bottle. And uh, Rob Bowman talked about the episode in an interview. He said, uh, we're on the set, and there was a two-shot of LeVar and Brent. Uh, Brent's process was to bark a little about a bit about what he had to say before he said it. And it wasn't nearly necessarily reflective that 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 was written. What was written wasn't good. It was just part of his process uh, to say, "Oh, I can't say this stuff. I can't do it." And then, as soon as they said it, he would go right into data mode and data as Sherlock Holmes, even. And they said it was mind-boggling how good he was and how he could switch. Uh, and then after they cut, he'd say, okay, I'm not so sure about that take, even though it's perfect. Uh, and they said, Brent, it was brilliant. And they said, Jesus, it was really unforgettable making those episodes and not being on the set. Uh, Daniel Davis uh, discussed some Moriarty in another art uh, conversation with StarTrek.com. Uh, he said, in this incarnation, he's, he kind of has this journey from being... Uh, Arch nemesis uh, to to trying to just match data's intelligence, um, and he's you know there's a big emotional journey in both of these episodes, uh, probably bigger in the first one. I'm going to link to this other one that just describes like different shots on the set. It's from Ex Astris uh, Scientitia, uh, so that'll be in the show notes. Uh, uh, let's talk Reginald Barclay, because this was my first encounter that I remember. Reginald Endicott Reg Barclay III, portrayed by Dwight Schultz. Uh, plays, uh, he's in Next Generation and Voyager. Uh, I guess he's a reg- vital role in reestablishing contact between the Starship and Starfleet. Also in the feature film First Contact... Uh, coming up with innovative solutions. Uh, oh, he deals with some uh, holodeck issues uh, and that people overlook his because uh, he's just a little bit different, kind of like Scoots. Uh, Sarah Higley created Barkley uh, for her script, uh, Hollow Pursuits for Next Generation. And uh, kind of like a play on being a super Trek fan in some sense. Uh, she was trying to empower that. So Barkley was in uh, Hollow Pursuits, uh, The Nth Degree, 
realm of uh, stuff, uh, Ship in a Bottle, Genesis, uh, then in uh, First Contact, uh, Star Trek Voyager in Projections, Pathfinder, um, let's see, Endgame. So is also in some of the computer games uh, and the novels. And, and uh, it was a really, really uh, rich episode. Uh, part of the reason why it's played by Dwight Schultz, uh, who I'm a big fan of for, from the A-Team. Uh, he played uh, Murdoch on the A-Team. Also well-known voice actor, Ben 10, uh, Chowder, Cat Dog. Uh, was uh, born in Maryland. And, uh, yeah, we started in the A-Team. He's been in a, a bunch of movies throughout time. Uh, they had a cameo in the movie, but it was cut, but uh, it was in the uh, DVD extras. But just uh, just as someone I have a positive memory of from being a kid. Uh, what about Stephanie Beecham, who I mistakenly thought was someone else uh, when I first saw this episode? Uh, plays the Countess. Has also been in... Uh, uh, the ABC soap opera, The Colby's Dynasty, and uh, many movies. Uh, started in British TV uh, in the 70s, uh, in The Nightcomers, uh, and uh, a bunch of other things. So, so I had a long and uh, storied career. But for some reason, I thought Stephanie uh, was uh, another actress, at first, I thought it was Jane Seymour, and I said, "What is J- holy cow? I had no idea James Seymour. Jane Seymour was on uh, appeared in Star Trek: The Next Generation, and Jane Seymour to me is best known as Di- I mean, and just to me, this but Doctor Quinn, Medicine Woman, which was a Western drama series uh, uh, where she plays Doctor Quinn, uh, who leaves Boston in search of adventure in the old American West and settles in Colorado Springs." It was a series that ran 1993 to 1998, 149 episodes, two TV movies. It was played in over 100 series. It was took place in 1867. And uh, Dr. Quinn uh, sets out west to Colorado to start, set up a practice. Uh, and she makes adjustment. Uh, she meets, uh, She makes friends with everybody that lives there. And helps people. So I think it was a, a very popular and beloved, uh, um, what do you call that, procedural uh, show. Colin Meany was even in it. And they chose Jane Seymour, who had been in a lot of miniseries. Uh, and uh, they said, do you want to be on this? Check out the script and make a decision. Because uh, if you do, we need you to commit to it for maybe a long time. And it was also known for having a high concept storytelling in the historical setting and taking on a lot of social issues and, and trying to po- discuss them in a positive way. And other than a great HBO uh, TV Western would, like uh, there hasn't really been uh, like a big time TV Westerns, uh, though now there's a couple more that we know about. And it was filmed in uh, Paramount Ranch and, and Agora Hills. Uh, so that's a little bit about uh, Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. What about the word sagacity? Uh, that, that came up, and I wanted to look it up. Uh, 
It means a keen sense of smell or the quality of sage, wise, or the ability to make good decisions, perceptive, astute, or insightful, uh, sagacity. So, and it's spelled, uh, thank you, S-A-G-A-C-I-T-Y, sagacity. Uh, then freedom was a big theme this episode. It made me think of uh, one of my favorite songs about freedom uh, by George Michael. Freedom exclamation point exclamation exclamation point exclamation point ninety or just a freedom. A song written and produced by George Michael. Uh, it was uh, the ninety at the end of the title was. Uh, also, was there, there, Wham also had a song, Freedom? I didn't know that. Uh, it's the third signal single from uh, Listen Without Prejudice, Volume 1, and it was a big-time hit. But let's read the, and I, I mean, I love that song. Uh, so let's close out the lyrics of uh, Freedom. So good night, everybody. Uh, Freedom by George Michael. I won't let you down. I will not give you up. I gotta have some faith in the sound. It's the one thing I've got. I won't let you down. So please don't give me up. Because uh, uh, I would really, really love to, to stick around. Oh, yeah. Also, I forgot David Fincher was the one who filmed the video. That's a pretty big deal. And uh, amazing. Uh, heaven knows I was just a young boy. Didn't know what I wanted to be. Didn't know what I wanted to be. I was uh, I was every little hungry schoolgirl's pride and joy, and I guess it was enough for, for me to win the race. A prettier face, brand new clothes, in a big fat place on your rock and roll TV. But today, the way I play the game is not the same. No way. Uh, I think I'm gonna make myself happy. I think there's one thing you should know. I think it's time I told you so. There's something deep inside of me. There's something, someone else I've got to be. Take back your picture in the frame. Take back your singing in the rain. I just hope you understand. Sometimes the clothes do not make the man. And all we have to do now is take these lies and make them true somehow. All we have to see is that I don't belong to you. And you don't belong to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, freedom, I won't let you down. Freedom, I will not give you up. Freedom, have some faith in the sound. You've got to give for what you take. It's one thing, good thing I've got. Uh, freedom, I won't let you down. Freedom, so please don't give me up. Uh, freedom, because I would really, really love to stick around. You've got to give for what you take. Uh, heaven knows we sure had some fun, boy. What a kick at just a buddy and me. What a kick just a buddy and me. We had every big shot good time band on the run, boy. We were living in a fantasy. Uh, we won the race, it got out of the place. I went back home, got a brand new face for the boys on MTV. But today, the way I play the game has got to change. Oh, yeah. Now I'm going to make myself happy. I think there's something you should know. I think it's time I stop the show. There's something deep inside of me. There's someone I forgot to be. Take back your picture in the frame. Don't think I'll be back again. I just hope you understand. Sometimes the clothes do not make the man.
All we have to do now is take these lies and make them true somehow. All we have to see is that I don't belong to you and you don't belong to me. Yes, yes. Uh, freedom, I won't let you down. Freedom, I will not give you up. Freedom, have some faith in the sound. You've got to give for what you take. It's the one good thing that I've got. Uh, well, it looks like the road to heaven, but it feels like the road to heck. Uh, when I knew which side my bread was buttered, I took the butter thing as well. Posing for another picture, everybody's got to sell. But when you shake your boots, uh, they notice fast, and sometimes mistakes were built to last. That's what you get. That's what you get. That's what you get, I say. That's what you get. That's what you get for changing your mind. That's what you get for changing your mind. That's what you get. That's what you get. And after all this time, I just hope you understand. Sometimes the clothes do not make a man. Uh, good night, everybody. I want to thank everybody over on uh, YouTube. Ethan, M. Krantz, uh Maya, uh, Chloe, uh, O.W., Christopher, uh, LCB, uh, Lazy, thank you. Thanks, thanks, and good night, everybody. Uh, you, uh, Centurion, uh, Vix, uh, thank you, thanks, thanks, and, thanks, and good night. Uh, Stephen, Deborah, uh, Ryan, Almond, uh, Almond uh, thank you, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, Miriam, uh, Jose, and Prometheus, uh, thank you, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, Scooter, uh, Lydia and Myla, thank you, thanks, thanks, and good night. And Namira, uh, uh, SL and Keith, thank you, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, Jor, uh, Kay and Paige, thank you, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, Vesna, uh, Cal and Ota, thank you, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, Sherlock, uh, one. And uh, Fluffy, thank you, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, Rahima, uh, Marin, thank you, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, Paige, Studio, Orla, thanks, 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 and good night. Uh, Pinky, uh, Jeremy, and Ordinary, thank you, thanks, thanks, and good night. Ariana, Melanie, and Franchellis, uh, thank you, thanks, thanks, and good night. May, Claire. And Cerna, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, Carol, Quiz, and Mai, thanks, 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 and good night. Uh, Chris, MD, um, Taya, and Lil, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, Blah, uh, uh, ZH, and uh, The Sleepy, thank you, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, Charleno, Kimmy, and Nadine, thanks, 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 and good night. Uh, Lamas, uh, Celeste, and Tommy, thanks, 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 and good night. Uh, Michaela, uh, Jaime, and Misa, thanks, thanks, and good night. Jacob, uh, Deborah, and Leah, thanks, 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 and good night. Uh, Shannon, uh, David, and uh, Sam, thanks, 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 and good night. Uh, user, uh, Gustavo and Poldo, thanks, 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 and good night, and everybody else in Brazil, uh, Betsy, Galaxy, and Elizabeth, 
Liz Libby, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, Lafayette, Ashley, and Joe, thanks, thanks, and good night. Isaac, Walter, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, Drewbert, uh, X Pro, and my music. Thanks, thanks, everybody, for listening to the show on uh, YouTube. And uh, thanks, thanks, and good night. Sleep with me is a proud member of Nightvale Presents and PRX. Uh, you can check out everything at Nightvale Presents. Uh, com and prx.org. Uh, thanks to, to all the patrons who keep the show going and sponsors uh, and the people that support them. And thanks for listening as I tuck you in here and say, uh, hey, uh, instead of sleeping tight, sleep uh, warm or chill and as you will. Uh, and uh, on with another episode if you need, if you need something. Uh, good night. <laughs>